Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'll be your host once again for today's show. Joining me on the show this week is Dutch. He's been on the show a couple times before. You probably heard him on the ASOG podcast, maybe seen him on Facebook, shop owner, North Carolina, a really intelligent guy. I got a lot of respect for him. He's got a lot of wisdom in the automotive industry and then also on the financial side of things. And that's where we're going to dive into today is talking about the financial aspect of a technician's life. And this is something that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot, whether it be on podcasts or YouTube or just in your daily life, education, whatever it might be, at least from my experience in the automotive world, we're not really approached with this topic well, until it's a problem, um, you know, until we're in debt, until we don't have uh, emergency savings, until we don't have a retirement savings, or and we're not even sure how any of that stuff works, um, it, it definitely becomes an issue at one point or another. But it's there's not a whole lot of education and training for your average technician. Now, that's not to say that nobody understands this stuff. There's plenty of people that do, but. I'm coming from a position when I was a young technician, I knew none of this stuff. My parents didn't know any of this stuff. My school didn't teach me any of this stuff. I had to go out and figure it out on my own, how to budget, how to track, how to save, how to invest, how to set myself up so that money's not the enemy, so that I can take care of myself, my family, myself in the future, have a retirement, all of that stuff. What are the steps to do that, right? And I personally feel like right now in the automotive industry, there's so much work to be done. And as a tech, there's so many opportunities to go do that work, you know, pick your place that you want to go to. And at least one of them, if not all are going to roll out the red carpet for you. You know, we can make some bank right now. And hopefully you are, hopefully you're making some money right now. But this is the time to really start thinking about this because maybe you do have some extra income that you didn't last couple of years. Now I know things are more expensive and Inflation is taking its toll on a lot of things, but it doesn't change the fact that the getting's good in our industry right now. And the pendulum, you know, can always swing the other direction where things get a little leaner. There's not quite as much work. Maybe there's a little bit more competition for that position, right? That could happen in the next few years. We don't know what's going to happen. So right now is a really great time to start thinking about this sort of thing if you haven't already and put yourself in a good position for those hard times that will inevitably come up. Things quite often don't go the way that you planned. Case in point, we tried recording this podcast earlier in the week and we did. We had a great discussion, except for the audio file was completely unusable. Uh, we had some technology issues, right? So we actually had to re-record this. And it's just, again, perfect example of things don't always go according to plan. And you don't know when it's going to happen. So setting yourself up for success 
again, especially right now, is a really good idea. So that's why I wanted to have this conversation, get some of these ideas out there, get people thinking, asking questions, seeking out other resources. And if you got any questions on this stuff, reach out to me and I connect you with some of the things that have helped me along the way uh, with personal finances. But with that out of the way, let's jump into the episode. All right. Good afternoon or evening, Dutch. How you doing? I'm peachy for an old bastard. Thanks for asking. <laughs> we are uh, doing round two here. For anybody that's listening, we attempted to record this the other day and we had some technology issues. Imagine that. <laughs> so we're trying this again. Um, but I mean, what a great example relating to our topic where stuff does not go the way that you plan it to, even when you take the time to plan and you think you have things in line, uh, life can, uh, (laughs) have different plans for you and things go south unexpectedly, but that's just the way it is. Um, and that was, that was kind of related to our, our topic was, you know, personal finance, management of your money, savings, retirement, all that stuff. Um, but I thought you'd be the perfect person to have this chat with, you know, the average technician and what they, what their thought process might be considering things like savings and money management and looking towards the future. And how does somebody even get their head wrapped around some of this stuff when a lot of us, myself included as a tech, just didn't have any training or education on these sort of things uh, like where where do you go with this stuff you know it's 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 tough when you don't have any examples or any training yeah you know w- one of the things we learn a lot in in school when we go to school right uh, but nobody ever teaches you in, at least when i was growing up it was assumed that you were going to learn learn on your own the stuff you know how to maintain a checkbook right? What the best use of your money is for taxes. The things that, you know, how much you should set aside for, as my mother and grandmother used to say, a rainy day, mm-hmm. right? They, they would, But there was never any figures. You should always set money back, Robert, for a rainy day is what they used to say. That's, by the way, that's my real name. Uh, nobody ever calls me that unless I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> at least that's what you see on the police docket. But um, so, yeah. You know, this kind of stuff in, insofar as um, financial education, you have to learn from somebody that's made a lot of mistakes, and I certainly have. And that's the reason why I think it's important to come um, on, on the podcast so that I can share some of the mistakes that I've made and some of the things I've learned to give others a head start, right? Because there was nobody... You know, money is a very, very, very touchy subject. Mm-hmm. It's not something, you know, as kids, you don't talk to your, your parents about their financial situation generally until they're in the latter part of life and they're looking for you to take care of them or they're making final arrangements or, you know, you want to see how you're going to manage the state if you're the executor or any any of that sort of stuff. But, hey, how do you take care of your, your, your paycheck? How do I bank for a future? Uh, What tools do I need? These aren't subjects that 
in my experience, they certainly weren't taught in school. Um, you know, there was no home finance class. We had shop classes. We had home ec classes. Get this. We had typing classes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) we didn't have anything about home finance and when you're younger this is somewhere in the distant future you're not really paying attention because you're young and invincible immortal and that's something that is just not going to happen to you so uh, my hope is that any of your listeners or some of your listeners may take the advice that we have here and take the ball and run with it so that they're in a better circumstance than the majority of their contemporaries. Because the simple truth is, well, I've been doing this for a while. I know a lot of techs. I started out turning wrenches. It's how I paid for school, continued later on. Most techs live in the moment. Now, there are exceptions. Mm -hmm. We know guys that are really good and they have their financial house in order. But most techs don't. They're living, as I see it, in my experience, from paycheck to paycheck. That's the reason why, you know, if a week goes by and they're flat rate and it's a slow week, they're like, okay, th- th- I-, I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. But if a couple of weeks go by that are that are slow for whatever reason, people start to panic. Yep. According to the Peterson Foundation, the average family has less than $1,000 in savings. And that's scary as hell. It's not just yeah. families, the average family that are technician, technician family. It's families across the United States of America. You know, that, and, and that's, that's really pretty scary. So in my view, if there's a tech who's saying, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're, we're coming up on, uh, we're in a recession. I don't care what some politician tells me I remember enough from <laughs> high school with two successive quarters, you know, uh, means that at this point we're in a recession. I want to, I'm still relatively young, and you don't have to be 21 years old when you're doing this. The longer the period of time that you have to do this, the greater likelihood of success, which you can do this in your mid 20s, your late 20s, your 30s, your 40s. It's never too late to start down this path towards financial stability. Um, it's a very so, good point. Yeah. You, you, you know, this is, I know guys are just like, I'm too old. I, I, you know, that, that ship has sailed for me. I'm just too old. And, um, you know, I'm just going to hope that Social Security can take care of it and I can get a part-time job somewhere, being a greeter for Walmart, or I can, you know, do mm-hmm. something. That, that's not the way. You didn't work your entire life so that you can work in, until you die. Right. You know, that, that that's not, uh, a buddy of mine has an expression. He says, I asked him, I said, wow, when are you going to retire? He goes, retire, man. I got to work till I'm 85 just to break even. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, that's the truth. And that's, that's the thing is trying to, trying to set yourself and your family up so that you're not in that situation where you're 70 and you're like, oh, I have to keep working to pay the bills. Um, it's, and so that was me, you know, the things that you're describing, that was me as a tech in my 20s because I grew up where my parents were just really bad with money. Uh, they had good jobs, uh, middle class, ran an insurance business, but 
they didn't know what how to how to manage their money and save properly and they got into credit card debt because they didn't have any education or examples and so it was a lot of fighting and anger and problems and that's all i saw money was as a kid it was money is a problem you don't want to be in debt but money is a problem and it 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 really affected me i that, that kind of stuck with me like i knew i didn't want to be in debt but i didn't have a good relationship with money i didn't and i didn't know what to do with it right i would get my check i'd pretty much spend it down you know, like you're talking about, um, and then not have much left over. Wasn't in debt, but I wasn't setting myself up for the future. And that was my whole twenties, kind of living check to check, not having that amount in my savings account or, or a savings account at all. <laughs> and just hoping that nothing, I don't break my arm or break my leg and not be able to work. Right. And I was lucky that I didn't. I was lucky I was able to continue with it, but eventually I sought out some education on this stuff. And started working with things like budget, tracking my expenses, and putting money away and investing and retirement savings, right? All these things that kind of snowball once you get into it. But that's that's kind of why I wanted to have this talk is just maybe somebody who has no idea where do they start with this stuff. I mean, what it, is budget the first step? Is that where you need to begin with in order to go down this road and – I, I think there's something that you have to do before that. Uh, budgeting is absolute uh, a must, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the first thing that you have to do is you have to ask yourself some important questions. And this is a serious topic. So while I joke around a lot, I'm, about this I'm absolutely serious. Um, you have to make sure, first of all, is your significant other or your spouse on the same page you are with regard to improving your financial situation. All right. So what, what you're going to have to do is to have a difficult conversation because typically um, at least one person in, in, in the marriage or the relationship can be a saver and the other one's going to be a spender. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's difficult to get two people that are both savers. They're not going to have a problem. This discussion is not really going to need to take place for them. Right. Uh, except for the investment portion. So, you know, you have to make sure that, that your significant other, your spouse is on board with this. Okay. So that you can identify and work together towards a common goal. That's the first thing. All right. Um, then when you're discussing this, when you're talking about money in a serious way, you have to ask yourself, what are your feelings? You know, I'm not talking about go out and hug a tree or any of that sort of crap. All right, um, you know nobody's telling you to gather in a, in, in a in a circle and sing kumbaya wearing Birkenstocks and, and tie dye. You know, <laughs> what I'm talking about is how are you feeling when it comes to money? Is is it anxiety? Are you anxious about money? Um, do you feel kind of, some kind of shame, anger? Are you comfortable talking about money in your in your, your circumstance? you have peace of mind? Uh, are you, is there some resignation or indifference about money? You just don't care. You, you have to get this stuff out on the table. That's really important. And if you, if you find yourself becoming angry when talking about money, you have to understand that the root of that is likely fear. The root of anger is often fear. And if you're, you're you know, if you're a pretty much a level-headed 
happy-go-lucky person and budgeting and talking about money sends up a, a red flag for you, you're really going to have to be aware of it because you're likely to lash out at your partner when they don't deserve it because of your, your anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So taking, we can agree, you and I, um, great minds think on <laughs> that taking charge of your financial future, it, it's a process, right? One that has to be learned, you have to learn it, mm -hmm. and then you have to practice it in order to achieve results. And what I'm going to cite as an example here, when you were a kid and you were driving with your parents, you were in the passenger seat and, and you were watching them drive the car, you understood what it took to drive a car. When you wanted to go forward, you put the car in gear, You step on, they step on the accelerator, and the car would go forward. When it wanted to turn left or the right, they would make the corresponding turns in the steering wheel, right? When mm -hmm. it wanted to slow down, they would depress the brake. So you had an understanding of it, but you didn't know how to do it until mm -hmm. you actually got behind the wheel. Yep. So a lot of people have a good understanding. Oh, yeah, I need, I need to... I need to budget. I need to track expenses and to monitor, you know, my incoming amount. I, I understand that. But unless you're willing to actively take the steps in order to improve your financial situation, you're never going to get there. You can wind up three, five, 10, 20 years later or more in the same circumstance that you're living now. Mm -hmm. So, with without the application of, of some of the principles that we're going to go over here, um, you can't expect anything different. You know, the old the expression is that if you never change what you're doing, you do it over and over again, you can't expect a different result. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So one of the things that one of the core principles is to start with the end in mind. Okay. So you sit down with your, your spouse, or if you're by yourself, that's, that's okay too. And you have to decide, you have to define what the end is for you. Well, the end is that I own my house free and clear. Mm -hmm. That I have a specific amount of money in savings. That I'm able to afford to send my kids to college or to private school if they want and I'd like to get a, a, a new car every three years. You have to have specific targets and then determine what it's going to take in order to meet those targets. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, okay. like I want to retire by this age. But you know, exactly that's, that's right. a very common one for people. Yep. Um, you know, so... Along with that, you have to ask yourself, well, what does financial success mean to me? Is it money in the bank, which some people is, or is it quality of life? You know, you can have two people be equally happily, happy, and one guy, you know, for him, happiness is defined by having two and a half million dollars in his uh, retirement account. And another guy say, I don't need nearly that much money. I just wanted to be able to go fishing with my grandson. Doesn't cost me anything. I got the boat, and we got, you know, I know where the lake is. Both of them entitled to their version of their vision of success. You can't have one size fits all when it comes to that. You know, you, you have to determine what does it mean to you to not have enough, and you have to examine those feelings. 
because that's going to help motivate you to do what's necessary to have what you define as enough. Well, the way to do that is by the word that strikes fear into many people, not just text, and that's a six-letter word, budget. Now, budget gets a really, really bad rap um, for a number of reasons, because immediately when you say we're going to work with a budget, <laughs> the first thing comes to mind for people is, oh, my God, here's going to be a huge list of, what, list of what it is we can't do. So I can see it right now. We're going to have a single light bulb in the living room, <laughs> and we're going to be cooking, right, making our ramen noodles. <laughs> in the yep. end of the day, we're going to have our beans and rice, you know. <laughs> As we watch our free TV on a black and white set, uh -huh. you know, living in, you know, not paying the heating bill, you have all these, these really, really, really stressful ideas, these dreadful ideas, because most of the time when you think budget, you think of cutting out the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not necessarily cutting out the good stuff as modifying. You might have to cut out some. But there's a lot of things that you can do in life that don't require, that are fun, that don't require a hell of a lot of money, that are good right. ways to spend time with the people that you love, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as you get older, you end up finding out that most of the best things are actually free to do. Like you say, going you know, fishing with a family member, going for a hike uh, somewhere, or even just going on a walk you know, with somebody that you care about, like that can be the best part of your day and it costs you absolutely nothing to do. So there's always, it's just about your perception of what you're doing and how you're spending your time, who you're spending it with, and you can adjust stuff like that. But yeah, the, you know, the cutting stuff out, I think once you take an intentional approach to it, you'll find that, oh, I can cut back on these things that don't really bring me any benefit or any joy or doesn't make sense that I'm paying this much every single month for for streaming services or going out to eat at fast food every once every day um like that sort of thing you're like well it's, is it really going to change my life that much if I cut back in this area and I'm able to save one two three hundred more dollars every month and, and then look at the big picture of what's Two or three hundred dollars a month going to do for me if I'm to save and invest that, and the the difference at the end of <laughs> when you know at retirement age, it's insane what that can do, you know, with compound interest and no, without any question, you know. Um, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, okay? I mean, there's an element of sacrificing in establishing a budget. There is, I mean. Any budget worth having that is going to, to show yield appreciable results are going to require some measure of sacrifice. Now, I'm aware that there are some self-help books, and you can probably see videos on YouTube, and I know they come across my uh, Facebook feed where they say, oh, no, no, you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to sacrifice at all. You don't consider a budget a sacrifice. You consider it a choice. Yeah, well, that's a distinction without a difference. In all, in all, you know, what they're doing is they're putting lipstick on a pig, <laughs> right? I mean, 
that that's really what's going on. Um, when I was coming up, there was an expression, right? And that expression was that we're sacrificing today for the blessings of tomorrow. And when you think of it that way, it's not a punishment. It's kind of noble, right? You're doing what's necessary to help provide for your family. That's pretty awesome. So let, let's talk about what a budget actually is, right? It, it's a plan, you know, it's a roadmap, if you want to think of it that way, that allows us to keep score and can take control of, control of our finances um, so that you can actually achieve your financial goals. And again, those goals are different depending on each person. Um, so that roadmap can, and it most often does, include tracking your expenses and cutting back, as you, you said, uh, where necessary. And doing that creates an opportunity, which is pretty cool. And that opportunity is to create a major life change for you and for your family. But an added bonus to maintaining that budget is the elimination of stress. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've woken up before I decided to, to, to go down this path. And this happened to me later in life. This was not fair. I'd like to say I was one of these guys to do from the get-go. I, I didn't. I got married uh, when I was 32 years old, and um, I didn't have a savings account. I had less than, than I don't want to tell you how much money, because it didn't matter. I was earning money, and I went out and I bought whatever the hell I wanted. I bought a Porsche, I bought a motorcycle. I bought, if I saw it, a gun that I wanted, a watch, any, I bought that crap. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about it. It was just me. And there was a retirement plan at the company that I worked for, and everything was going to be cool. I was going to coast. Well, then you get married, and you have children, and that goes right the hell out the window. Because it's like, you know, I think it was John Lennon who said, life is what's happening while you're making other plans. <laughs> yeah, right? no kidding. So um, by establishing the budget, it, it eliminates stress because – if once you have everything in place, and it takes about thirty days to set up, but it's not thirty days worth of two hours a night, okay? It, it's once you take about thirty days to set this up and attract your expenses. There's a certain amount of comfort knowing that because you're doing this, you don't have to stress about your bills. You have a plan to knock back high interest, which are which is robbing you of your future. I interest that, and to build the future for you. So what I what I tell people to do, and you're going to laugh. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's old school, right? I know that there are budgeting apps on your phone, right? And the damn thing will do everything. Yeah. That's great. That's wonderful. But what I found in helping others is that you go to like Dollar General, any one of these places, you can get a small little freaking notebook, one that fits into your pocket. Mm-hmm. And you put that in the same pocket that you put your wallet or your cash, your billfold where you're going to paste, right? Okay. And every time you reach into your pocket through that wallet, the first thing you pull out is that little pad and you write down what you spent. No judgment. I spent 11 bucks for lunch, $7 for a pack of cigarettes, 
whatever the hell it is that you had during the course of the day. No mm -hmm. judgment. You're just recording it. Yeah. Not judging you. You're just recording. Once you start tracking your daily expenses consistently, you're going to see exactly how much money is going out. Because for the most part, when it comes to the small things, I'm going to grab a candy bar here. I'll grab a beer after work. I'm going to, you know, people don't really think about it. And cumulatively, that stuff adds up. Yep. Yeah, it, it really can. Uh, I've been there too. Like I mentioned the fast food thing when I was in my 20s. It was very easy to either A, run to, you know, McDonald's, Wendy's, whatever for lunch and it's 10 bucks out the window or somebody else is running. Here's 10 bucks. And I don't know. It's probably even more now. Um, I don't eat fast food too often these days, but that adds up. If you do that every day in a month, that's 300 bucks, but you don't think about it. That's just 10 bucks. It's just 10 bucks. But then you add that at the end of the month, you're like, holy cow. You know, if I would have been bringing my lunch from home, I, w I could have done it for a third of that potentially depending on what you eat. But, um, the other thing about tracking, which I, I find really interesting because it works this way if you look at um, people that are dieting, that try to lose weight, right? They'll track their calories or what they eat. Just the act of tracking your expenses or what you're eating, you will begin – before you even get the totals, you will begin to – be more responsible because it's that act of taking it out of your wallet and you're going to write it down like, do I really need this candy bar? <laughs> okay. All right. And then you, before you even spend the money, you put it back. And same same thing, just the act of keeping track of stuff will help you be more mindful about what you're spending your money on. And that, that alone can be a, a difference maker, even if you don't total it up at the end of the month. But when you do, that's where you can really recognize where your money's going out. Yeah, because if, if you, you know, if you're doing this during the day and you're, you're showing your significant other that, that you're willing, that you're committed to do this by your actions and you say, okay, let's go over and we're going to list every expense that we have in the house, right? Our fixed expenses, the stuff that we can't, you know, no matter what we do, we have to pay. And then the expenses, the variable expenses that we have. So what am I talking about fixed expenses? Well, utility is pretty much going to be the same every month, especially if you wind up uh, wanting to average them out through what's called an EP plan. Most utility companies, many of them have an EP plan where it's you allow they review your energy usage for the past year and they average that out. So the bill is the same every month, right? So you know your rent or your mortgage is pretty much going to be the same unless as long as you have a fixed mortgage. If you have a variable rate, then that can change. Mm -hmm. okay? But it's not going to change from one day to, to the next. It takes a little bit of time for the for the the um, that rate to change. Groceries, right? You know, you'd be surprised to find out. You think, well, I'm, I'm you know, we're going about through five hundred dollars a month in groceries, and the next thing you know, it's not five hundred dollars; it's seven hundred and fifty bucks a month. And you're like, holy crap! I had no idea. It's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's just you were simply unaware. Your mm -hmm. ignorance was costing you part of your future. By being more aware, you can now take corrective action. Just remember that which is not corrected continues, right? I don't care if it's disciplining your kids, right? Don't 
John, don't don't poke your sister in the eye. I mean, <laughs> just leave her alone. Leave her. Leave her. Leave, leave her alone. Right? You don't do that. What's going to happen is he's going to continue to torture her. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we know this because you, you have kids. You were a kid. You remember these kind of conversations. That which is not you know corrected continue. Yep. Right. So, what a budget isn't going to do because I don't want to. It, it's not an overnight solution to a problem. You're not going to keep a budget and then 30 days later and all your problems are gone. It sets you down that path. The path to financial independence, financial stability. And, you know, I'm big on these older expressions. And that the one that I I like when it comes to this is that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. One step at a time. Every single step gets you closer and closer to your destination. Are you going to have setbacks, have unexpected expenses, etc.? Absolutely. But if you're following the budget and you're saving money, you can handle them and you don't get the stress. Right? So when you're budgeting, what it allows you to do is to allocate specific jobs to every dollar that comes in. We know we have this amount in rent. Okay, we're going to allocate out of my paycheck this much. Now, there are various formulas for this, depending on who you want to talk to, and there's various ways of doing it. The important thing, as far as I'm concerned, is that you actually get on a program. It doesn't matter whose it is. And and I'm not paid by anybody to advocate for any of their programs. But you've often heard, I'm I'm sure, the 50-30-20 rule. Mm -hmm. 50% of your net paycheck has to go for the essentials. 30% goes for discretionary funds. And then 20%, no matter what happens, you have to sock 20% of your net salary away. Pay yourself first before anybody else. And that would include like retirement savings in that 20%? Yep. Okay. That 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 money, um, the only money that you're not going to include in that is that which is automatically deducted from your paycheck at the time, because what you're doing again is is your net that you're receiving that's being deposited into your checking account if you have direct deposit, or you know, okay. So, um, one of the things that, that you know, and I can I can see guys that are you know I, I can't literally see them, but they're shaking their head and like, I'm not doing that crap. Well, success leaves clues, right? I mean, you've heard that. Well, if you want to wind up being in a successful position, you have to copy the traits that successful people use. And millionaires, billionaires, multinational uh, companies all keep budgets. There is a, an excellent book. Um, came out in the mid to late 90s called The Millionaire Next Door. And and it shows that um, wealth, true wealth, is defined not as some people would define it or as it was defined for many years by Webster's Dictionary as um, obtaining material possessions but of having financial stability. Because we all know, I'm sure you know, in your family, in your friend group, 
There are people that live in big houses that drive new cars, that go mm-hmm. on vacations twice a year, send their kids to private school, and they're in hock up to their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And any kind of pickup, and they're they're scrambling. Yeah, it's a house of cards. <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's an absolute house of cards, you know. Um, so successful people got there and they stay there by the act of budgeting, you know, and a common trait of people with a high net worth is they all know where their money's going. Now, does it mean that they know every day, you know, okay, I spent 220 on a candy bar? No, that, that's not the point. But they know where their money goes. You know that the last article that, that I read, which was several years old, there was a deal about Oprah Winfrey. She has this media empire, right? She yeah. signs each. She actually signs each individual's check, every employee's check, oh, wow. so that she can review the numbers. So she knows where her money is going, right? I mean, that's something that has to be done. You know, um, have you ever heard the expression? <laughs> another expression. Um, you know. I got too much month at the end of the money. <laughs> I've lived that before. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> because got, you know, money comes in and and money goes out and they're let, you know, they're left wondering what the hell's going on. Right? right. You can budgeting and tracking your expenses, working together, working with your spouse, significant other if you have one. That feeling of dread is kind of non-existent. Well, when you were you mentioned the, you know, the rainy day fund, but just to have a buffer, have a savings for so many people, myself included, it just gave me that big. Okay, you know, if the furnace goes out, I have money to pay for it. You know. And obviously, I can fix something with my car, but a lot of people, that's a big worry. What if the car breaks down? Um, You can run off a huge list here of unexpected expenses that you almost should expect, like stuff like that's life. You own a home and a car, that's going to happen. You have kids, that's going to happen. But to have that buffer, that savings built up for that gives you so much more relief in your day-to-day financial decisions and maybe those couple weeks that are slow or you know if you're on flat rate you're not stressing you're not sweating quite as much because you're not living check to check and so that was one of the biggest hurdles that i had to overcome when i first started doing this is saving up six months worth of my salary because when you don't have that that's a lot of money (laughs) that's a lot of money when you when you have nothing in your savings account like how am i going to do this and it takes some work, but I think that was the hardest part for me was getting to that point. And then it snowballed and it, everything else was so much easier after that point. But again, that relief that was just like, okay, I got, I got a buffer in case something happens. And I'd never had that before in my adult life. It was pretty cool feeling to get there. Yeah. I mean, it, you're absolutely right. Um, there's a really famous quote, oh, yeah, another quote uh, from Warren Buffett, and that is, do not save what's left after spending, right? Instead, spend what's left after saving. 
And again, this goes back to pay yourself your 20% first. Because if you look at it in the industrialized world, the savings rate for United States families is towards the bottom. Last time I looked, Japanese was up towards the top. A lot of other cultures emphasize saving a lot more than we do in our culture. Mm -hmm. The question is, okay, Dutch, okay, Sean, realistically, is this something that's achievable or are you guys just blowing smoke? You know? Well, yeah, it's absolutely achievable, and there's a great example of it um, on YouTube uh, by a guy named Earl Crawley. Earl Crawley is a parking lot attendant who uh, earns 12 bucks an hour, and this first interview was taking place in 2014, so it was eight years ago. He earned 12 bucks an hour, never more than $20,000 a year, okay? 20 grand. The guy has a problem with dyslexia, so he can't even read well. Yet here's a guy who's working in a parking lot for 40 years, has a parking lot attendant, has a net worth at that time in 2014, I don't know what it is now, of over $500,000. His house is paid for, three kids went to school. So it's definitely achievable. Yeah. That book that you mentioned too, one of the interesting things about that was that the income level for those people, because they went out across the US, if I remember correctly, and they found everybody who had that net worth above a million dollars. and But the income level of the large majority of those people was relatively low in comparison to the the wealth that they had accumulated right and but that was that was the key of it was that it wasn't that you had to make five hundred thousand dollars a year to be wealthy it's just that you had to manage the money well that you were bringing in and then you could be successful even yeah being a parking lot attended or being a technician but the thing about being a technician right now is you you're probably hopefully making a lot of money right now right <laughs> it is it's hot right now. There is more work, at least where I'm at, there's more work than you know what to do with. And so hopefully you're seeing the benefits of that. But then also why we're talking about this is I hope you're not spending it all down. You know, now is the best time to be creating some good strategies. Now might be the easiest time to be banking some of that cash because you're earning more than you were a few years ago. And then, hey, Tough times are always going to come around, right? Like, like I said, expect the unexpected because we recorded this once already and it just flopped on our face, right? That that's life. Um, so set yourself up now so that moving forward, it's going to be much easier. Get yourself that that savings account. Get yourself that buffer, and then you can start working towards uh, you know even more things. But. Um, like not now is the time to do it. I think as a technician, get started with it. Yeah, this this see, it's difficult now. If if you don't have a sense, a real sense of of discipline, I want you to imagine. You know, for a lot of techs, they, they had it tough for so long. For so long, they always felt as if they never had any leverage in the marketplace. They were never appreciated. There wasn't enough work. And if there was work, they weren't paid correctly. 
and they've just been undervalued for all these years. And now you're going to have a, you're coming home with paychecks that more accurately reflect your worth. The first temptation is to go out and buy yeah. some. Yep. You know, there's that rifle you always wanted. There's that Harley you always wanted. And it's just yeah. another few hundred dollars more a month. You know, and your wife wants to go on vacation. And maybe this time, instead of driving to the beach, we'll fly him down to Disney World. Right? And yeah, because finally you're getting to go, yes, it's coming true. I'm, I'm, I'm finally getting one. Well, this is where the discipline comes in to go. This is great. You know, I'm glad and I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to take advantage of it is to bankroll as much as I can at a minimum of 20% of what you're coming home with. Mm -hmm. So that instead of working till you're 70, if you wanted to retire when you were 55, you could or sooner, depending on the age that you started. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. You start early. You start in your early 20s with this sort of mindset, and it's absolutely crazy what the compounding interest can do for oh, you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what we'll do is is let's take a, a, a couple of minutes to discuss the difference between um, investing and savings because people, they often confuse the two. You know, they kind mm -hmm. of conflate them. They blend them together, and it's not. Um, savings is something that you're doing where that money essentially is untouchable. You're taking the money, you're putting it in a bank, right? And that bank is federally insured. While it's certainly true that you're losing some money to inflation, the value, the purchasing power you're losing to inflation, nothing's going to happen to that money, right? I mean, you could bury it in your backyard, I guess, if you <laughs> wanted to, right? Yeah. But that money is there. Okay, it's insured by the government or it's in your bank. You know, it, it's, it's there. When you invest, you're putting your money at risk. Now, the amount of risk that you're putting it uh, to is, is directly proportional to the yield that you hope to get, right? The more yield, the more return on your investment, the greater the risk that there's going to be a problem, right? Look and see what, what happened to, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it, but Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you got it. <laughs> okay. You, you know, the, the guys, the, you know, I, I started out with, with, with 12 bucks and the next thing you know, they're millionaires and, and you know, mm -hmm. now, now they've lost the overwhelming majority of their money. And, you know, th those are speculative investments. You're, yep. you're essentially gambling. Well, how do you modify that risk so that you can expect a better return than your savings without having to, to be as concerned about losing it. Well, there are index funds. Instead of buying an individual stock, which mm -hmm. rises and falls, you invest in an index fund over many. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You can invest in the overall stock market of the US or even the world if you want to. Um, and so, generally speaking, well, I, I shouldn't even say generally speaking. Historically speaking, you know, the market has always recovered and gone up as time progresses. Now, it's you got to look at the big picture. If you look at one dip, 
yeah, you could say, oh, I lost all my money or I lost a half of my money or whatever it might be. You know, 2008 was a terrible time for a lot of people. But, you know, you look 10 years down the road and it's, you know, it's all recovered. Um, and that's, well, COVID was another, like, that was a really fast one, right? March of 2020, things dropped off, lost all kinds of money, give it a couple months and you like doubled what you had. It was absolutely wild. Um, but the general trend, right, is always going to be up. So if you're investing in the total stock market index funds, you're you're setting yourself up for long-term success. That's where I see the value in doing things like this. Yeah, see, see there is the, – it's basically set up in two different schools of thought. Um, there's market timing and time in the market. Yeah, okay. The latter is what you want to go for. <laughs> right. There are certain guys that, that believe that um, they're going to involve in day trading. They're, they're going to buy shares at a specific price, hoping that, that that those shares are going to go up in value. They're going to get out, realize the profits, reinvest. You know, And, and yeah. you know these guys because they're always on the damn cell phone watching stuff and yeah. you know, <laughs> trying right. to see what's going out that, you know um, – and they're playing options. They're doing the stuff that they want to do. And trust me, money can be made that way. I'm not telling you that money can't. I know guys that did very well that did that. And yeah. they were quick to brag when they did really well. And they shut their yip when they lost their ass. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. You know? Every, everybody's a genius when it's a it's a bull market, right? You, yeah. Every, you, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you made all this money. Oh, okay. All right. No worries. Yeah. So – Let's go back for just for a second to, to budgeting because it's a specific plan. Aside from the 50, 30, 20, um, I want everybody to think about using a smart guy, S-M-A-R-T, okay? Um, and that's going to help you identify what you want and how you're going to achieve it. And, and it, it seems silly, but it, it, it actually it works. And time and time again, it's proven to work. S specific what do you want to achieve we discussed that okay m for measurable how do you know if you've achieved your goal there has to be some way look if you're following sports you know that you have to have a score that you're going to keep right you're at the track you want to know how fast you're going through the traps you got to be able to see it right mm -hmm. you got your time slip when you wind up it has to be Achievable. What's a realistic goal? A guy who says, you know, I'm earning fifty thousand dollars a year and I want to save thirty thousand of it. Is it possible? Yes. Is it realistic? No. Right. You know, I mean, so if it's not an or, if a guy that, that that says, you know, here I am, I'm thirty five, and by the time I'm forty, I want to have a hundred million in sa savings. That's unrealistic, right? Okay. So specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, all right? Is this aligned with your vision of what it is that you want? And it has to obviously be time-based. That's the T, all right? When do you want to get it? Because, again, by using that time reference, you can measure your performance. You constantly have to use in uh, that measurement. In business, right? We use key performance indicators, KPI, to measure specific goals, right? And then those goals are reflected in various 
financial documents that we have to see if we've met them for our cash flow documents. We have the assets that we need to, what was our gross revenue? We have that on a profit loss or an income statement, right? There's always ways to measure because that which cannot, here's another expression. Boy, I'm like, all oh, on these freaking expressions. <laughs> <laughs> that which can be, cannot be measured, cannot be managed. If you can't measure, you can't manage it, right? Right. So these are the things that you want to do. Now, when you're, you're doing your due diligence as a tech and you're like, okay, I'll listen to the old bastard, right? He experienced enough crap in his life that it'd be stupid for me to not, I don't want to wind up making the same mistakes he did, right? If, if you were in the kitchen and you watched your buddy set your, his hand on your hot stovetop and burn himself, you're not going to go, you know, let me try that. <laughs> you learn from his stupidity. Well, mm -hmm. learn from mine, right? Because I made really, really stupid errors. Really stupid errors. And one of them was starting so late. Because, again, I only had to think about myself. And I was confident that others were going to be taking care of me, the corporation that I was working for at the time, because they had a, a retirement plan um, that was, in my view and in the view of the resident experts, foolproof and could never be compromised. Well, that crap uh, died when they went bankrupt twice. And I lost everything I had. So don't do what I did. That's, that's the lesson of, of that. Don't make the same mistakes I made. Start now. Because I got to the point, because I started late, that I'm financially secure at my family. Now, does that mean I have $10 million sitting in the bank? No. But I'm debt-free. Right? That's you guys huge. That's huge. No car payment. No revolving credit cards. You know, nothing that when it comes down, I don't know anything on the business. I don't owe any. I don't have my snap-on stuff. I don't owe anything. That gives you a certain amount of, of, of latitude. And yeah. that's one of the things that you have to do is, as your savings, is devise a plan. And there's several different ways to do it. You can do the Dave Ramsey way, which is to, to pay off the, the, the smallest balances first, take that money, irrespective of the interest, roll it over into the next hire, and then continue to go up and do that. Or you could do it some advocate, which is take your largest balance that has the highest interest rate and pay that down first. You know, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. I don't care which way you do it as long as you get up off your ass and you actually commit to do it and then follow through. Mm -hmm. That uh, that <clears throat> feeling of being you know, debt free, uh, you're 100% right on that. And I, I, like I mentioned, I've always been very active about not going into debt for stuff. Like I don't want credit cards. I don't want car payments. Right. But I've I've had a mortgage for most of my adult life. I bought a house when I was 21. And I, um, I sold that house last summer, summer of 21. And I was living with a friend for about three months while I was looking for my next place. And that period of time, I had no debt, right? And I had sold the house. So I had a lot of money in the bank from the house sale. And it was just such a, it was such an interesting feeling to just be like, I don't know 
anything to anyone. I could do whatever I want right now. And of course, I bought another house and now I got a mortgage. But you're using your money wisely. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, and, and that's, that's the thing to, to make because you got to remember, and this is something that, that most guys don't get. And that is that when we're talking about buying an investment, we're talking about buying an investment that produces revenue for So if you buy gold, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of guys don't want to buy hard gold because of the recession and the economy. Okay, that, that's fine. But the difference between an investment, that type of investment and uh, an asset is in one, you're hoping to sell something that you have for a greater price than you paid for it. Mm -hmm. The other winds up paying you, right? So if you have enough money, you can buy income-producing properties, right? Yep. That's paying you something. If you have enough money, you can pay down your mortgage faster. And that's paying you. Well, that's how does paying down my mortgage pay me? I don't know how to get that. Because you're reducing your interest payments, mm -hmm. which in effect is paying you. If you have a 30-year mortgage and you can pay that mortgage off in 25, 20, or 22 years, you're saving tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Look up the amortization. Let's see if I can say it. Amortization. Uh, schedule for your mortgage and look at how the interest payments are broken down on a traditional mortgage or the balloon payments and then start looking at, well, if I applied, you know, an extra amount here, yeah, not only did you take five years off the mortgage, but like you say, thousands and thousands of dollars that's just interest payments that would just go to the bank otherwise and you can, you can chop that off. It's, it's nuts how quick that you can help yourself there. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the, 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 there are two ways of doing that. People advocate one is making a, a payment every two weeks, and the other is saying, okay, my mortgage payment, if it's a fixed mortgage, is we're making up a figure, $1,500 a month. Mm -hmm. Okay. I am going to make my $1,500 payment, plus I'm going to make an additional $1,500 payment per year. And I can divide that up and, and write on your, your, your mortgage statement. It'll say additional principal. You're going to pay that money towards the additional principal. Well, on a, uh, last time I checked, and the figure could be a little off, on an 8% loan, which is when um, I initially got my mortgage, it was um, paying one principal payment um, every month payment towards the principal, paying one payment at the end, so the total at the end of the year, cut seven years off of the mortgage. Seven years. Right? That's, That's $18,000 a year. At <laughs> yeah. 18,000 times seven. Do the math, That's, man. That's, yeah. Um, I remember when I um, was, was 21 and I was going to purchase my home, they had you go through a course, which was a first time home buyer's course. And totally, you should do that. If you have not bought a home, you should learn about this stuff, right? But I remember in the course, they were going over this sort of stuff and they were showing us numbers, like an example mortgage that you would purchase. 
and they showed you the value of the home, the sticker price, right? It's $150,000. And then they showed you the actual price that you pay with all of the interest, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden it's, it's double or whatever that what you, yeah, yeah. And she, the, I remember the lady's like, well, don't pay attention to that number. And I'm like, why wouldn't I pay attention to that number? That's what I'm actually paying on the house. Um, and so I've always been like from day one, I wanted to pay, I wanted to pay extra. I want to pay extra for, for that specific reason, um, to get you there faster. And that's again, you know, we're talking about all these things. There's so many different ways that you can help yourself if you're intentional about it and you start to manage it, right? If it's not tracked, yeah, you can't, you can't manage it. You can't, um, you can't do anything about it if you don't know where your money's going or the potentials for your money. But you start doing some of this stuff and it's, uh, again, it snowballs, right? You start getting into the groove and figuring it out and it's a good feeling and you're less stressed about all this stuff and it just gets better and better um, or easier as it goes um, once you get involved with this sort of, uh, you know, intentional money tracking budgeting, saving, investing, all that stuff, it all kind of comes together. I feel anyways for me. No, it, it, it does. The, the, you know, I, there's nothing that, that I would say that's absolutely inaccurate with that. It's, it, it's, you know, when you do this as a team with your significant other and you're working together toward the common goal, it's something that you can celebrate together. It's something that you do as a couple together. Mm-hmm. Right, and and there's a sense of accomplishment that as a team, you did something. Yeah, right. You you had adversity, and through some sacrifice and diligence and attention to detail and discipline, you were able to turn basically lemons into lemonade mm -hmm. because you were working together. There's one thing I want to leave with. This is another expression. <laughs> How many of these do you got? <laughs> I'm old, man. We got a lot of these things. You know, this, this is what happens. <laughs> you get to be my age. You, you, you know, you can't remember what the hell you ate for for, for lunch, uh, or where you put your glasses half the time, or why you walk in, you know you walk in the living room and go, "What the hell am I here for?" Um, <laughs> but th this is something I, I do remember because it's made an impression on, on me. Now, there's actually two of them. The first is people don't plan to fail. They don't. They just fail to plan. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's... All right. And a dream written down becomes a goal. A goal broken down into steps becomes a plan. A plan backed by action becomes reality. So simply work the plan. Because everybody has a dream. You know, most people say, would you like to be really wealthy? 99 out of 100 times, people are generally going to say, yeah. Mm. Okay, what are you doing to get there? Okay, so sometimes people will laugh and go, well, I buy a lottery ticket. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Mega Millions was up there just recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So that, you know... In, insofar as, as budgeting now, when when your listeners um, hear this, what I want you to do is is do your due diligence, go to a lot of sources, um, 
you don't have to spend money on courses. Okay, a lot of this information um, is that is that a, a secret repository of knowledge. Something, a place nobody ever goes. It's one of society's hidden gems. You ready for this? I'm going to relay this secret to you. Okay, let's, let's hear don't, it. Don't tell anybody about this. You ready? This place, this place is called a library. <laughs> All right? Where the hell are you going to listen on, on the internet? Go to the damn library. Right? Become a liberal's worst ni- nightmare. Be a redneck with a library card. Okay? <laughs> Go to a library and look up books. Doesn't cost you anything on personal finance, on the basics of investing. Okay? This way, you don't have to be concerned about conflict of interest because it's easy to get advice from people that want to give you advice, but they want to charge you for it. Okay? And I'm not saying that experts shouldn't be compensated for their time, but when you're just starting out, every penny counts. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of information in a library about budget and personal finance and beginning stages of investing. Now, you're going to see some conflicting information. Um, There's like, for example, Dave Ramsey hates debt. And then there's uh, Robert, and I want to make sure I say his last name right, Kiyosara, I think is what his last name is, Kawasaki. And he, he has no problem with debt. He's like, I'm a billionaire and I'm in, I'm in debt. Okay. But what I'm talking about is for the average person. The average person doesn't have the discipline to, to monitor their debt and to handle their debt. They just right. want to be shed of debt. Mm-hmm. After you shed of your, your debt and you've established the discipline and the pattern of doing it, it becomes a hell of a lot easier to advance to the next level. You know? Um, so that's what, you know, go to the library. Stay the hell away from the internet. All right, because you're going to get pitched with all sorts of courses, and it's, you don't need that to start out. If after you've got a solid foundation, you say, I want to take it to the next level, and I think this person can help me, okay, fine. But your solid foundation will mean, in my view, that you have six months of savings sitting in the back, and that you are working to the point where the only debt that you have is your mortgage, mm-hmm. because you paid off your charge cards. You don't have that. Um, you, you paid off your revolving card, you know, your MasterCard visa. You paid off your, your revolving accounts. You paid off any personal loans. You paid off your 401k that you might have borrowed from, right? Now you can talk about strictly investing because it makes no sense to get 9% in the market if you're paying 18 23 27%. You're not doing anything. Yep. You're still losing. Well, and and just like you were saying, the psychological achievement of doing that, it ends up being like that's the hardest part is you know paying off debt or just even saving the, those three to six months worth of um, you, you know savings to have that in the bank. That's the toughest part. But like once you do that, the momentum. The, the, it gets easier from there, right? Uh, you're now now you're ready to start, you know, investing and, and doing these things, and you already have the methods in place to make sure that 
you're good at the end of the month. And, and it just, for me anyways, that once I got over that hurdle, it was just kind of, it just kind of flowed. It was just so much, so much easier. But that first part is so tough. Um, it has to be time-based. This is what's key. It absolutely has to be time-based. You have to say by this date, in two years, on this day, I want to be debt-free. By this date, mm -hmm. I, I am making a note that I am going to have my J.C. Penney's account paid off. And come hell or high water, I'm having that account done. I don't care what I have to do, that has to be paid off. It, I'm just I'm thinking as we're going here, and I don't want to interrupt your thought process, but we talk about you know paying off debt, and then so you might consider this an investment as well. How about that tool truck, right? The Snap-on guy and your truck account or even credit account with the tool guy. How do you how do you manage that? Because you're you might be in debt if you buy a ten thousand dollar toolbox or something like that, or a bunch of tools, and you're paying interest on it every month. But that stuff's making you money. Most guys don't know how to even approach that to make it realistic to have it make sense. They're just like, well, I got to buy this stuff and now I'm in all kinds of debt. I gotta, I'll just pay them every week for the rest of my natural life. You know, we, right. yeah, you've seen the meme where the snap on trucks at yeah. the cemetery, you know, we still <laughs> so, got 63 more payments uh, to go. Yeah. Uh -huh. well, the first <laughs> thing that you can do is, is understand this and th this is going to be really tough, but I'm, you know, I'm speaking to you like you're my son in this regard. If you're making weekly payments and you're doing a good job and you're telling the guy to, one of the worst things that you can do is have an EC account for Snap-on, which is an extended credit, which is they're going to be from like 8% up to 20%. You know, they have, they, they charge these stupid, and then you're going to put that payment on your credit card. You know, mm. no, no, no. Yeah, that's okay. That's you're, you're you're getting and then you're not going to pay your credit card off at the end of each month right you're floating the balance so yeah. now you're getting clipped twice so what you want to do if when you're going to to, to buy a, a tool with a guy is say hey look i need these tools and you can see i have a pretty good record of payment i want you to believe in me and we can start off small today's purchase is going to be um a hundred dollars and i know that you want to have a seven to a 10 week turn. I want this on a truck account because truck accounts don't charge you interest. So they don't affect your credit rating. Now, when that comes, see, like when I got all my tools, I don't have an EC account. I paid for everything on a truck account. And my dealer, after establishing, you know, a 20 something year relationship with me, it's like, if I want an AC machine, and it's eleven grand. I just say put it. I'm not buying it on EC. The only time I ever had an EC account was um, when I very first started. And then I'll go out and I'll buy shops equipment to turn around and resell, and they will have an EC account. So I'll take that EC account over, and then I just pay it off. You know that EC account gets transferred gotcha. to me, and then I just pay it off. And then that way, because it keeps my dealer out of it, he's not putting that on his truck account. He's got no, he's, there's no profit in it for. 
So establish a relationship with your tool guy and don't be a crumb. This is going to be tough for people to hear. Don't give me any of these bullshit excuses. Well, he didn't show up today, so he's not getting paid today. I'm paying for a service, and he didn't show up because his kid was sick or he had a graduation or for whatever reason, so I'm not making a payment date. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> That's absolutely wrong. You paid, You bought the tool. You paid for it. Yes, shit happens in life. Make sure the guy gets the money because you want him on your side. He deserves to get the money. You have the tool. He's already paid for it, right? Or he's paying for it. It's a seven-week turn. Mm -hmm. Don't be a dick. Pay the man. The more you can get transferred to a truck account, the better off you are. You need tools to make a living. I got it. No question about it. And if you're working a job and the guy shows up and he ha happens to have the absolute thing that you need, you need to buy it. But you also can be smart about it. Can't you shop at pawn shops for stuff? Do you have to buy uh, on oh, yeah. time? You can go to garage sales. You can look in, in, in the paper. Is it really necessary that you get the best of one tool so that for the one job you're going to do? Yeah, yeah, I got this greatest, right. greatest, you know, I got this snap-on tool. Really, when's the next time you're working on a 73 Pinto? I mean, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I found the uh, the Harbor Freight hammer hits just as hard as the snap-on hammer does. Yeah, that was my I, I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just got to be smart about it. A lot of my tools, I'm going to tell you straight up, a lot of my tools I bought at pawn shops. And when he, when he had trade-ins... Mm -hmm. I bought the trade-ins as long as I had some sort of warranty. Because ultimately, as long as the yeah. tool worked, I didn't care if it wasn't flank drive plus. Excuse <laughs> me? You know, I, I mean, okay. I grew up using the wrenches before they were flank drive, and I didn't have to have flank drive plus with serrations on the open end. And, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> It, it's not right, necessary. Right. I can get the job done. It's a good tool. I don't compromise on my sockets and my wrenches, but I don't think it's necessary to get the flavor du jour because that's what he has. Right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm definitely in the same boat with you there. I I was always on the, the I don't want to say cheap side of the tools, but I only bought the snap on stuff if I really felt like it made a difference or the high buck stuff if it really made a difference. And yep. some stuff does. Absolutely some does. stuff definitely is worth paying the extra Agreed. money. But not every, not everything. Yeah. And so talk to if you're younger, talk to some of the more experienced techs and maybe they're snap on fanboy, I don't know. But uh, you know, say, hey, you know, where do where does my money make me the most money? Where does it make sense to spend the most amount of money that's going to be the biggest return for me? Because that's what you're looking for with the tool is return on investment. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen. I have tools I bought that I've never used and you, you strike out sometimes, but. <laughs> well, if you're a young tech, the first thing you have to do is realize that you don't need to be buying an $11,000 box. I'm sorry. You just don't. All right. A snap-on roll cab does not a technician make. 
You don't have to have that box. When you're starting out, there's nothing in the world wrong with starting out with a used cart or going to Harbor Freight and getting one of those. And yeah, you may take some ribbing about from somebody. Ah, you got Harbor Freight or you got Waterloo or you got. Okay, shut shut the fuck up. Are you paying my bills? Pardon my life. If you're not paying my bills, <laughs> shut the hell up about what I'm spending my money. Okay, because ultimately, when I get to be your age, I'd like to be in a position where I don't have to bust my knuckles like you are. I'm sorry, but you're you know you're 58 years old and busting my stones, and you're in hock up to your eyeballs. I want to be retired by mm-hmm. now. Right. Yep. Well, that's uh, that's actually a good point to transition. And the the last thing that I wanted to touch on was retirement and retirement savings, and we kind of have been discussing that. But when you know, if you're a technician, you're working at a shop. I think, at least in today's day and age, you should expect your employer to offer some sort of retirement plan. Um, and if they don't, I mean. Go go look around because there's probably some place that will. But if you're maybe you're looking at taking on a job or you're in a job, what should you expect from your employer nowadays for something like that? Is it just 401k with a match? Is that still the standard for everybody? It depends um, on the demographics. What, the, what do you it think depends on, on that? the demographics of the area? If you're working for a corporate employer, okay, if you're going to work for a Firestone, mm-hmm. if you're going to work for one of the bigger box chains, you're going to work for a dealership, they are going to have a more structured retirement typically. I'm not saying it's, it's typically than an independent. Okay? But that doesn't – there are some advantages and disadvantages to working in that corporate structure. And you have to decide for yourself oh, yeah. if that's the environment that you want to work. You have to balance out. Well, I'm working for the corporate structure, but two Saturdays a month I have to work. I want my Saturdays off. Yeah, or four Saturdays. Saturdays right? I worked for Firestone for a while. <laughs> I know so let, let's assume, <laughs> let's use your example, and let's assume that you're working for an independent who doesn't have a formal retirement plan in place yet, but has plans on it later on or for whatever reason. Okay. That shouldn't stop you from getting an IRA. Right? Now, there's two typical IRAs that we talk about. There's a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. And the difference is when you're going to be taxed and which contributions are tax deductible and which are not. And because I'm not a financial planner or any of that sort of stuff, I would tell you, Go to talk to somebody. It really depends on whether you think you're going to have more money in retirement than you're earning now or not. That's the key Mm -hmm. area that you have to ask yourself about. So go talk to a financial planner about that. Just say, hey, look, or go online. Don't buy anything. (laughs) Just go online and, and do your due diligence, do your homework, right? Because Mm -hmm. here's the thing, you know, don't do what I did, okay? Don't let it be in the hands of somebody else. I let it be in the hands of the corporation. What had happened to me in my retirement with the corporation had never before happened in the history of aviation. It wasn't even on my effing radar, man. It never happened before. 
I lost a tremendous amount of money overnight because the airline came to my union and said, look, here's the deal. Either you volunteer to surrender all of your individual retirement as pilots to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation of America, or we will meet you, and this was Friday night, or we will meet you on the courthouse steps Monday morning, and we will liquidate this airline. There's not going to be any restructuring. Wow. So everything that I had worked for, everything that was was the DB defined benefit plan was gone. Gone. Damn. I was left with a check for twenty eight dollars and forty five cents, which I have a color copy and I, I framed it. In <laughs> it's upstairs. I framed it. I went and took the check to my favorite pipe shop, where cigar and pipe shop, and I bought cigars for my friends that were sitting down there with me. And we lit them up, and I said, "Okay, boys, you're watching my retirement go up in smoke." This was absolutely the true thing that we did. <laughs> Everything that I had looked for, wow. I was supposed to retire with over two million dollars in my retirement. And I had worked up until that point, and it was gone. Gone. And that would just crush so many people. Oh, it did. It, oh it absolutely God. did. I, I, and I don't even want to tell you the figure. It just goes to show that nothing's guaranteed, nope. you know? And no matter what you do, how well you plan, it can all go south. Yep. No, that that's that's <laughs> – it absolutely devastated so many people. We had so many people at the airline suffer um from you know we talked about suicides there were guys that that had heart attacks and, and and strokes that were attributed to the stress divorces oh my god you know you, you have yeah. you have a, a spouse who's accustomed to a certain living a certain lifestyle and now through no fault of their own they believe that they're being punished Mm-hmm. And that lifestyle is going to, you know, we're going to have to sell the house. We're taking the kids out of school. We're going to, you know, we've got to sell the Lexus and the BMW. We're going to wind up buying a Toyota Camry. You know, we have to completely restructure what it is we're doing. And these people freaked the hell out. I mean, divorces were rampant, you know. Wow. So, but you. You landed on your feet and you, you figured, figured it all yeah, out, Yeah, because right? I worked seven days a week for nine years. That's, you know, that that's the, the simple truth of it. That I didn't take a day off. I worked when I was sick. You know, I, I had to do what was necessary because I had a family that were counting on me. And, you know, my, the guys my generation, my role models, men worked. We shut up and worked. Because that's what men were expected to do. You know, Mm -hmm. I told my wife when we got married that um, if she agreed to marry me, she would never have to work outside the home because I wanted her to take care of our kids. I assumed that I was going to have some. I wasn't sure because I didn't know if I would breed well in captivity. But... um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and that the fact that my mother was sending her a check at the end of every month because she wanted grandkids and if you look at me there's no way that a normal woman was ever going to have sex with me. so when you think about it this was the only way that that, that I was going to be able to procreate it right you know Louise was no dumb she counted on those checks you know <laughs> so um, 
Yeah. So, well, while I joke about it, the end the end game of this is don't depend on anybody else. Depend on your on yourself and commit to the plan. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't feel any different really at this age than I did when I was much. I still think I can do the same things that I did, but your body tells you, what are you, a moron? Right? I'm making noises getting out of a chair that my grandfather used to make. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Time goes by as you age. It just seems to go by faster and faster and faster. And you can't recoup that which you didn't save for. You, you, you just can't. So start early with a budget. Start your savings program. Save that 20%. Remember the 50, 30, 20, right? 50, that, that's a general plan. There's several different uh, uh, ways of, of re, but establishing a budget. But one of the common ones is, okay, 20% immediately of my, my take-home pay goes to savings. Now I got 80% remaining. 50% of that goes to pay for those items that I have to pay no matter what. I got to pay my rent and my mortgage. I got to pay my utilities. I got to pay my my car insurance. But I can review my car insurance and say, now that I have a little bit of money saved up in my savings account, how about if I increase my deductible for each of my cars to $1,000 instead of leaving them at $500? That'll save me a little bit of money, right? And as the car gets Mm -hmm. older, because I'm not trying to buy a new car every three years. How about I just eliminate um, collision on the car? Save money there. Okay. Small incremental steps, just like that guy in the parking lot who is able to save small amounts for a long term. Well, if you're in your 20s, there's no reason if you're in your 20s now, by the time that you can't hit 50, well, you can't flat out retire if you do it right. If you avoid that, get rid of your debt, and set money back. As long as you and your wife together do it as a team. Now, what does this also mean? Well, you know, my wife wants to stay home with the kids. She homeschools the kids. Well, it may mean that for a few years you get a second job. That's You get some side hustle. Drive for Uber mm-hmm. if you work the numbers and see that it would pay. Work for somebody else in a shop on a Saturday. Say, hey, I can come in part-time and and knock some Saturday stuff out for you. But you bank that money. You absolutely don't spend that money. Start another side hustle that does not involve you working on the side in (laughs) auto repair. Because it's easy to think how the, the you're going to make more money, but you're assuming risk you're not planning on. You're going to have expenses you didn't plan on, and you're devaluating your ultimate earning potential. Yeah. See our earlier episode on side work for all that. (laughs) You know, that's that's the thing. Because think about this now. Right now, okay, techs have the upper hand as they well should. I want more techs to be paid more money. But as more and more people enter into the field slowly, that leverage is going to diminish, right? 
Oh, yeah. Because as the ranks of technicians slowly, incrementally increase, the pressure that an employer feels to pay a tech X amount of dollars per hour because he knows he can't get another tech is going to diminish. Because he's going to go, well, no, there's, there's more guys out there now. I don't have to pay the tech that comes aboard as a general service or actually a lube tech 18 to 22 hours, dollars an hour, because I'm not going to be competing with Lidl anymore, the supermarket, or Aldi, who's willing to pay a stacker that much money. Right? I mean, that's, that, that's the simple yeah. truth of it. So, yeah. The, the, the pendulum's going to swing back the other way at, at some point. It yep, might be yep, a while, absolutely. but... It's not happening overnight. It's not happening next week. But it's going to happen as long as younger people continue to enter into the marketplace. And we see, because of guys like Mike Rowe um, talking about the trades, we're going to see that people are finally realizing that the trades are not a consolation prize. It's not something that you do because you couldn't get into college or because you were too stupid. It's a viable alternative as a means to provide for you and your family a future. That's what you have to think about. I, uh, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a great place to wrap this up. Yeah, thank you for all of that. That is really good advice for anybody listening, but especially young people. Really, I encourage people to take that to heart because um, you start putting those things into place now, and you can't you can't even understand how much it'll change you and your family's life. You know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, it's it's massive to really address that and take charge of it now. That's huge. So I, I appreciate your advice on of this course. stuff. I mean, think about it. Just think about what you could do if you wanted to be around for your kids. The average prices of cigarettes across the country, according uh, to these, uh, the uh, American Institute for Cancer, American Cancer Institute, is $6.86 a pack. Right? So if you wind up doing a pack a day, 30 days a month, you're looking at the end of a year at like just about twenty three hundred bucks. It's like twenty two hundred and ninety dollars, twenty two ninety two per year, right? Okay. You save that after after ten years. You just just decide you're going. You tell your wife, look, I'm going to be as grumpy as Dutch for about two weeks, maybe three. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be really you know, just stay the hell away from me. But I promise you, I'm going to give my level best to giving up cigarettes. Okay, you give up cigarettes. Now you got three thousand dollars, approximate ballpark, right? Twenty-two, twenty-three hundred dollars, rather, a year. That's ten years. Is twenty-three thousand nine hundred dollars? Is there a reason that you don't do it? I mean, that's that's a sacrifice that benefits right. your family, right? Benefits your health. Yep. Yep. And that's just mm -hmm. one of the things. And you picked up a great example. Do I really need to have all this cable TV? Do I, you know, what can I do? Do I need to eat out? Just like you said, do I have to eat out every day? No. Can I brown bag it? Right. Mm -hmm. Small incremental changes over time make a big difference. 
That's the reason that Dave Ramsey's his, his lessons are so successful, because the average person can do it. You can if you set your mind to it. Because I tell you, if you don't, you're going to be 60-something years old, wondering why your body is failing you, your knees ache, your hands cramp up, and you're figuring that you're going to be working in Walmart as a greeter because you can't afford to retire. Yeah. I, I, I have someone who's close to me who is over 70 now, and he never planned for any sort of retirement or anything and he's still working out there you know in retail and his body is starting to fail him and there's there's very little that he can do for himself now because it's getting harder and harder to work and it it sucks to see that because what do you what do you do right um that's kind of why I want to talk about this stuff is Maybe uh maybe it gets in somebody's ear and they can uh, start you know looking towards their future a little bit um, even if they're young especially if they're young and and if you're in your thirties or forties it is never too late that's a myth it's too late for me I can't do anything to affect it I'm too old bullshit absolute bullshit you mm-hmm. absolutely can like we said the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step you can do it that's right. All right. Speaking of getting older, awesome. we're going to have to end this because I'm, you know, I'm on here an hour and a half, which means I got to pee. <laughs> All, right. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Dutch. All right. One more big thank you to Dutch for joining me on the show this week. I really appreciate it, especially considering we had to record this two times. Uh, so extra big thank you to him this time around. Uh, always appreciate talking to him and him sharing his wisdom with us. Uh, this stuff is really important, I think. So hopefully everybody is listening got something out of this. Also want to thank everybody for listening and all the feedback I've been getting on the show. I really appreciate it. So keep that coming. But other than that, let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.